Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works. Or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today on what is going to prove to be a very traumatic uh, episode of Rule of Three, I think, so it's a good job we've got someone calming and delightful here, is Nadia Shireen. Hello. Hi. Hello, Hello Nads. Hi. How are you doing? I'm nervous. How are you? Well, you look really nervous. I'm fine. I, well, I'm a bit nervous that you say I make comedy. I feel well, like you do we funny need... stuff. Your books are very funny. You do funny stuff. Pants. I feel like we need a, dis- a disclaimer. There's a problem culturally, is that unless you've got a microphone in your hand and you're on Live at the Apollo, yeah. there are people who do funny stuff who think they're not comedians, uh, cartoonists, journalists, writers, people who work in the field of making people laugh. Yeah. But you don't have to just be on Live at the Apollo. To I don't pace around comedy. sweating in a suit. No, not <laughs> no. not, not <laughs> less well, required. Well, let, on deadline, perhaps. Yeah, that's private time. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you're you a cartoonist and illustrator and you write children's books that are very funny. Thank you. Well, yeah, I hope so. I yeah. hope so. And when, when we were chatting about this, it's mm-hmm. funny, I get asked a lot in my job as a picture book writer and illustrator, oh, you must have had loads of picture books around when you were growing up. Who influenced you? I bet you love so-and-so and so-and-so. The truth of the matter is, I went to the library every week with my mum because I was a voracious reader and they didn't believe in buying picture books because I'd grow out of them. Yeah. And I was just flung mm. in the kids' section and just told to get on with it while she went off and found Geoffrey Archer and Dick <laughs> Francis. And um, <clears throat> so I didn't grow up with loads of picture books around because we just got them from the library. What we did have and what I think has directly influenced my work w- was magazines. Right. Oh. So basically that, that's in the house. I, mean, I, I, I thought this because yeah. I, th- I grew up with some picture books 
but mainly it was a library thing. There was that bit, there was a, a yeah. sort of a, a shape of bookcase that doesn't exist anymore. The low one that looked like a record rack in our local library yes. where there was just racks and yeah. racks and racks of picture books, Same. which I went through one at a time. But at home we had about a dozen. It was seen as a, a waste of, of, of money and space to put yeah, something that you grow think, out of. I don't even think my parents overtly thought about it that much. They were just like, well, Nadia's a bit a keen reader and I was and I would tear through everything. What's the point in buying a book? Yeah. We've got a perfectly, back then, we did have a perfectly good library where I was growing up. It's also, I think it's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that happens which is class and money and house size based that people don't understand. And, and books take up a lot of space if yeah. you live somewhere small. I moved from a flat to a house a couple of years ago. And the difference in my attitude to books is that, oh, God, I can buy books now. It was a hugely pressured thing to go for storage space. And when people sort of say, oh, kids now don't need libraries, you go, well, if you live in a small flat, yeah, yeah. the best thing in the world might be the fact you don't have to store these. And when I was a kid, yeah, it was me and my brother sharing a room and we were in a two-bed flat. There's a sort of class and space thing, which I always think is, is one of the reasons people get are really down on screen time. Right. You think screen time is a, is a, is a luxury if you've got a house full of books if you're playing minecraft minecraft is the most lego a child can have Mm -hmm. in a small flat Mm -hmm. Mm. if you've not got cupboards and drawers and things like that it would be an issue to have as much lego to build a hospital yeah whereas the on a screen in minecraft you can have all the lego in the world you can have a millionaire's lego set and you can fit it in a very very small back bedroom you share with a sister i think there's a lot of sort of uh, snobbery around what kids do that's based on the size of rooms that there is and it's a really tricky one especially again in my line of work there are loads of really brilliant well-intentioned people talking about literacy and it does matter but you've got to be so careful that it doesn't turn into tell your children to stop looking at the eye pad and to pick up a book i mean why yeah you know like do both <laughs> like it does both i think lego before lego got involved i'm reading this before lego got involved in games and video games and things they were really worried about lego is something you do on the floor it's very tactile it feels a bit like wooden blocks it feels middle class approved teacher approved thing to do with your brain and your and your imagination as a kid and they, they put some of those brain readers on some kids and, and said okay, what happens if they do Lego virtually? And the same bit of the brain lights up. Because if a kid's building something, they're building something, whether it's on a screen or on the floor. And that was the thing that made them go, oh, actually, we can do computer games without feeling, because they're very Danish and educational. Mm. Of course, you don't want to lose your kid completely to the virtual world. You want to be a mixture of both. But I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong no in screens and i also think if you're a kid who's like i know you joel and probably you as well jason if you're a kid that's interested in cartoons you're gonna look for that kind of material wherever yes Yes. so yeah all right you know i can you know i used to love cereal cartons because (laughs) but honestly like reading the back and like oh look they've got a drawing there and yeah on some level you're picking up messages about layout yeah about speech bubbles about text and how text and image work you know on some deep level that's all happening yeah and um, that's why i kind of cite magazines as being quite influential for me anyway in terms of how i put together picture books because it's not just about writing the story and it's not just about drawing funny animals it's about the marriage of the two the idea of magazines influencing children's books as obviously in any kind of children's book where there's illustrations there's a marriage of the text and the image yeah uh, and you can see it in beautiful things like lewis carroll where there's the tenniel pictures come in and out of the text and winnie the pooh where he sort of falls onto words and things yeah and it seemed that sort of with computer design software when more the illustrators were designing and laying out their books as well, that suddenly there was this enormous explosion of typography and illustrators were placing the text and playing games with it in the way that sort of Lauren Child did and things. It seemed to have yeah. suddenly changed the amount of control that an illustrator was allowed over how their book looked that 
could only have come from magazines. Uh, maybe. I think you make a fair point about technology making it easier for illustrators to get involved in that aspect of things to have a bit more control. Um, for me, oh, well, I mean, I don't know if you want, do you want me to start on my life story right now? Yeah, let's have all that. <laughs> let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> well, because I've got a, but my route into picture books is quite weird <laughs> and it does take in the uh, topic that we're talking about today. Right. It actually plays a key part in, in me doing the job I do now. I uh, cannot imagine where this is going. <laughs> well, I started out, so I moved down to London with um, I had like a stick over my shoulder with, you know, the polka dot bag. Yeah. Um, and I moved down to London to be a work experience kid in magazine offices because that's all I wanted to do because I loved magazines so much. And I succeeded and I was a workie for ages and ages and ages. And then I uh, saw a job and it was to be a sub-editor at Smash Hits magazine. Mm. That's right. So you have worked on Smash Hits, which yeah. is the thing you've brought in to talk yeah. about today. Yeah. <laughs> What? When I first saw the advert, I was a little bit like, oh, really? Because only because I had been in London for a year and I'd been warped by horrendous media London. So everyone liked the strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And was really, I'd been working in a men's magazine office, a really horribly toxic environment. God, I bet it was. Full of like really bad people. A few exceptions. If you're listening, you know who you are. So, you know, my mind, I, I was just like, oh, God, I've got to be hip. I've got to, got to get onto this newfangled vice magazine and then i saw an advert for smash hits and went wait a minute there's a little child within me going nadia nadia stop being so cynical stop pretending that you like oh i don't know it's into a crap band from 2002 Uh, hives yeah yeah stop pretending that you like the hives you don't remember you loved smash hits and i realized actually it would be the job of my dreams but the job advert said can you name all of Blazing Squad? And I was like, what's a Blazing Squad? <laughs> what is a Blazing Squad? A Blazing Squad was a band in 2000, about 2001, not, 2002. It's not a fire brigade. It's not a fire brigade. No. They were about nine members of Blazing Squad. And their appeal was that they did look like they just came from, you know, the lads down the estate kind of thing. By what's, the way, I have to warn you, by the way, Jason, we'll keep doing this. It will sound like a high court judge is here. <laughs> so what is and what a, is a Blazing Squad? Yeah, that'll keep happening. This is for the record. It's fine. Yep. It's fine. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> But then I thought, yeah, why not? And once I came to terms with the fact that it was a magazine catering to nine and ten year old girls and I was not one of those, yeah. I remembered all the things that I absolutely loved about about being in love with pop. At the end of the day, this is pop music and it probably doesn't matter very much, but yet it is there to entertain you. And it is a very important thing. Was that who it was aimed at then? Smash By the time I rolled around, it was. Right. When I read it, I would say its readership was much, much, much broader. But I still had a great time. And it was a thrill being the person to check the song lyrics. Because they still <laughs> printed song lyrics. Well, that's where, that's where it came from. It started in 78. And it was supposed to be an expansion from the song lyric magazines you could buy. And the yeah. idea was that you would buy this because before the internet and things, there was no way of finding out the lyrics, the words to a song. And they would print a poster with all the lyrics on. And you can get things like the lyrics to close to the edit by Art of Noise, which is just dumb, <laughs> dumb, 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 all written out. It's like it's, it's great. And I, I read earlier on the lyrics to John Wayne's Big Leggy by Hazy Fantasy. Wow. Which I never, re- I never realised until you see them written down in a teen magazine 
that it's about bum sex. It's naughty. It's yeah, it's really naughty. Bum sex. Oh, it's a no. naughty, naughty, naughty song. You just have to see a picture of them, though. To know they'd, they'd write a naughty bum sex song. Look at them. Yeah. It's of good. Course. It's supposed to be an allegory for the uh, the rape of the indigenous people of America. But on the page, <laughs> it's like about bum sex. John Wayne flips her over, it says in the middle. There I was, talking about Blazing Squad. And there you go. It it obviously had a more adult audience back in the day. But yeah, it's it's, they they would just reprint lyrics. I suppose at a time when lyrics were quite saucy, actually. Hey, they still are. Newsflash, Joel. Oh, yeah. I wasn't That hasn't changed. Since Smash Hits has gone, I've no way of finding out the lyrics after anything. Yeah, Yeah, you just did everything. It's really lovely. Um, No, it was really nice. That was part of my job then, was was writing picture captions, funny picture captions and and, um, doing the song lyrics. But anyway, this is a long-winded way of saying that it introduced me to working on Mac computers yep. and we uh, we had Photoshop on those Mac computers. I was a sub-editor. When pages were late or when I didn't have much to do, I would sit around and go, oh, what's Photoshop? <laughs> Open Photoshop up. And as someone that's always enjoyed doodling and drawing, I was like, hey, hey, look, I can draw. My God, I can draw a bear. <laughs> I can draw a bear on Photoshop. And I, and I just started doing that a lot uh, in my lunch hour or in my spare time. And that's where the books came from. That's, yeah, that, well, that's kind of where it was like, oh, Nigel, you're getting quite good at that. And then wow. I'd do like a bear swearing, you know, to make people laugh or yeah. generally to amuse my, yeah. my boss or whatever. And it sort of developed. And then and then there was one, they used to give away free like notebooks and stuff on the cover of the magazine. And they went, oh, do you know what? Let's do a couple of notebooks. We need like a sheep on one and then like a bumblebee or something on the other. Who can draw it up? Nadia, could you, yeah, could you draw a bumblebee? And so I started doing stuff like that. And then I was drawing the cartoons, the stickers. And then a couple of, you know, an art director would be like, or a designer would be like, oh, that's quite good. Uh, why don't you do an evening class? Mm, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. So I've always drawn with pens and yeah. pencil on paper. I've, it's just been a constant. And I did that at work, you know, even not on the computer, but on proofs. When I was doing yeah. proof corrections, the editor mm. would be like, nice cat. <laughs> <laughs> in the corner. In fact, that was on my CV when I applied for my job at Smash Hits. It said other hobbies. And I didn't know what else to write, so I just wrote drawing angry cat cartoons. And to the credit of Lisa Smazarski, who was my editor at the time, she interviewed me. And her interview question was, can you draw me a cat cartoon? <laughs> and she says that I'm friends with her now. And she said later, you know, there are other people that we interviewed, but we just like the cat cartoons. We just thought it would be a good thing. We just thought it'd be funny to have you in. And I was like, thank you for that. It's kind of more revealing than most of the rest of your CV would be, wouldn't it? Because it actually yeah. allows you, it, it says on this piece of paper that is my CV, I've given you a glimpse of my personality rather than just saying here's my GCSE results or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, in retrospect, I think it's a miracle I was hired because <laughs> the CV's basically saying I'm just looking for a job for a bit of money to kill time while I draw animals. What's interesting about this era of music magazines is it gave us loads of comedy. It gave us several things. It gave us, one, it gave us a comic voice that we're still using to talk about celebrity and mm-hmm. pop stars and to make jokes about them. And the other thing is it gave us loads of writers who wrote in that style and then went on to make comedy, like Graham and Arthur. But it influenced the NME and the Melody Maker and the serious magazines started to be funnier. And then you get Quantic and you get Collins and McConey and people coming off it. And you can see a straight line through Smash Hits to that. It gave us some great journalists like Chris Heath and Randa Sawyer as well, yes. but it gave us a a load 
of comedy comes straight off smash hits. Yeah, well, it was interesting. So my kind of golden age of smash hits consumption was uh, kind of 1987, 88 into 89. That's the high watermark for sales. I think it's, it's right. shifting a million copies yeah. an issue then, yeah. which is huge. For and, it was, and it was huge. For, the timing was perfect for me. So I know I'm only like about 21, but I'm actually 40. So I was, um, when I was nine, I fell in love my first deeply head over heels in love with the Pet Shop Boys. Hmm. And it was, you know, profound and it was like a lightning bolt. <laughs> Absolutely the perfect Smash Hits band. And I can give you another layer of nerdery in a minute <laughs> that you'll enjoy. Um, so I fell in love with them. And of course, yeah, Smash Hits was basically like their newsletter because Neil Tennant was deputy editor, I think, of Smash Hits before. And then he went, guys, I'm jacking this in because I'm going to form a band. And I think everyone went, oh, sure you are, Neil. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you later. See you in a few months. So what I love about smash hits is they're just incredulous they're like <laughs> neil's back um we've got some more pet shop boys news they're doing really well let's do- i can't believe it so um i would do that thing every issue i'd pick them up and do a quick scan cover scan yeah okay it's not a 10 out of 10 because the pet shop boys aren't on the cover but maybe it's an 8 out of 10 because there's a little picture of them right. their name is at least on the cover you know you pick out your favorite band so I, I fell in love with the pet shop boys fell in love with smash hits and it just all came together my brother who's five years older than me is also a music obsessive we were just both massive nerds growing up in the countryside like all we did was just consume music yeah. and books and and magazines that was our life he got the enemy delivered and um, and i would look at it kind of dutifully almost like it was homework <laughs> like oh, i better check what the big boys are telling me to like but not really understanding it because again i'm only 10 yeah. But I'm sort of like, oh, that's the Stone Roses. Okay. Gosh, they've made a mess of that studio, haven't they? Yeah. Who's going to clear that up? Who is going to clear it? That's a bit rude. And my yeah. brother's like, hey, those guys. I'm like, what a mess. <laughs> Neil and Chris would never do that. No. It would, get on the, it would get on Neil's Armani suit for a start. And Chris likes all his T-shirts white. So, like, they would never Neil do that. Neil folds his socks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I didn't quite understand the humour in Enemy. So, um, at that age... Yeah, I know it's, that they it's had, a different strand of humour. I just didn't get it. I just didn't get it. So Smash It's for me was totally gleeful and silly and hilarious. And Enemy still was quite, it was quite pompous. Yeah. They, they did revere their pop stars. Whereas the th- great thing about Smash Hits is nobody was that revered. People were loved, yeah. but they were never really put on a pedestal. Or, no, that's not true. Pop stars were otherworldly and amazing. That's why Neil Tennant becoming one was confusing. To yes, it was quite confusing. Because you can't cross the, the line. But then he became like the spy on the inside, <laughs> which was quite nice. Our pop star. Yeah, and in fact, looping back to when I was telling you about how I ended up working for Smash Hits, um, I kept, there was a brilliant feature done in 1987, I think, where Neil Tennant is invited back to be editor for a day. <laughs> and it's hilarious because they just, it, I think it's written by Chris Heath and they just rip the piss out of him. Oh. Like, Neil swans in an hour late. Clearly he's forgotten how it used to, you know, and, and they've just got him being like, oh, yawning and going, do I actually have to do any work? <laughs> and it's done as a diary, as a visual diary. And I remember being really fascinated by the whole thing. They use words like, Neil is tinkering with the flat plan. I'm like, what's a flat plan? And kind of learning what a flat plan is. I loved that feature so much. I read it over and over again. I saved it and I took it in with me for my second job interview. <laughs> really? And that's His when instructions? I, yes. And I'm like, I've been saving this since 1986. And I think that's when they went, oh my God, we better let her have the job because she's got a severe problem. <laughs> She knows where we are now. Yeah. 
What you're talking about there is something which Smash Hits was absolutely brilliant. It built itself a cast of characters, yeah. like a sitcom, and it had a real sort of Stella Street feeling. Completely. Or, so it was, yeah, it, absolutely. All the pop stars inhabit a world where all pop stars know each other, and they all know Smash Hits. Of course they do. And they all live in, probably live in the same street. Yeah. And, and it's something that Viz was doing at the same time, where they, they'd have a relationship with Shaking Stevens, or they do comic strips about the adventures of Mick Hucknall. <laughs> and so did the NME. It would do things. Right. That everyone ripped that idea off. And I think the first place I saw it, it was probably Viz and Smashettes about the same time. Okay. That they were turning pop stars not into pop stars. It's all Slade in residence from yes. Vic and Bob. Yeah, yeah. And it's never not a funny joke. And that's I, I absolutely agree that I think Smashettes were the people to do that, were the people to innovate that. So you've got writers like Tom Hibbert, mm. who's absolute genius, who then yeah. went on to do who, the Who the Hell column. Yeah, Q. Q. Yeah. And you can tell, I think, so he was often the voice of black type, the letters page. Mm. And the letters page if in Smashettes is astonishing. You know, just the replies were uh, uh, like three times longer than any <laughs> of the letters <laughs> and it's either Mark Ellen or Tom Hibbert on some mad yeah. flight of fancy just going on about Alan Titchmarsh or you know it, it just goes <laughs> off in so many surreal directions it, you know for a little kid reading every single word from cover to cover you're like what's going on here I mean, we, we love this they're finding a place to put a joke where there shouldn't be a joke yeah there's a space in there you go, well, well the replies to letters should be thank you you win five pounds yeah. and they said <laughs> no, oh no, no, no. what we'll do we'll put jokes in there I used to love that and again it's a vogue I think happened in magazines in the 80s the, the copyright lines would have yeah. jokes in and uh, the small ads would be funny and the personals oh, would be funny. That is my favourite thing. And, you know, it's all about annotation, witty annotation. <laughs> mm. And that has always been my thing. It's still my favourite <laughs> gag to make. And when I worked in magazines, I loved doing that. I loved the fact that my job was doing picture captions and sneaking yeah. those jokes in and now in picture books that's my favorite gag where do we put the copyright can i stick a little joke in on that yeah. last page yeah. Yeah. when i'm doing a picture book i'm not one of those picture book writers that tries to make it cool for the parents yes i, I want the kid to laugh because they're the one that is going to yeah. ask for the book however i you know i do enjoy sneaking in you know, a little <laughs> a little nugget here and there for them easter eggs something just a little yeah. bonus content There's a nice Tom Hibbert interview with Morrissey here, and he starts yeah. it with the question, what's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just a general mental a decay. Fair, it's a fair question. <laughs> Still worth asking. It's a fair question. There is a line in uh, one of my picture books called The Bumble Bear. There's a line where... A all, lovely book. Thank you. There's a line where um, I, I wanted a bee to be surprised. <laughs> And kind of say, what the hell? But you can't say what the hell yeah. in picture books. So I wrote, what the chickens? And oh. I was like, oh, that's a good phrase. Oh, Nadia, you're a flipping genius <laughs> coming up with that phrase. And then I was flicking through one of my back issues of Smash Hits, which I want to do of a rainy evening. <laughs> and I found a feature. <laughs> what the chickens is Morrissey on about? <laughs> And I was like, well, uh, so that's where that came from. But they, if you're a subscriber or you're a reader, they talk to you in a made-up language of words that they've that you know there's a glossary you could follow to, to understand what's going on, what who Dame David Bowie is, who <laughs> Wacky Macca Thumbs Aloft is. Yeah. They've got... Some of it's to do with the characters, you know, the characters. Some of it's just to do with the language. And that language is so persuasive and addictive. I was looking at adverts. There's an advert in the back but for a pioneer stereo system, like the driest thing you can advertise <laughs> in Smash Hits. And it says, so slip on your jazz slippers and... <laughs> 
Oh, oh, you're slip. You are talking in in a slightly crap version of smash hitsism. Yeah. To talk to this audience because otherwise yeah, yeah. you'll sound like you're a granddad, and actually you do sound like a granddad by doing it. And also the extra level of the the language that smash hits has chosen isn't a natural youth speak. It sounds no. like old fan magazines. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a pastiche of what fan magazines used to be like yeah. in the fifties. Yeah. No, it's it's really funny. I really love how they do use inverted commas. <laughs> so they're just the comedy, the inverted comma, which I know that if someone uses does that inverted comma thing with their fingers you're meant to kill them aren't they it's, <laughs> yeah that's the, that's like the, meant to be the unfunniest yes. thing in the world but smash hits use of of inverted commas just doing john bon jovi <laughs> just, really made, just that <laughs> it makes me laugh just by putting the bon in inverted commas <laughs> you just know what they think of him and it's brilliant and i used to write every so me and my brother used to write uh we had or well, I still have, you know, had the uh, cousins who read Smash Hits at the same time. And we used to write to each other, but using Smash Hits language. And right. everything was inverted commas. And it was hilarious. And we would wow. be writing about our relatives. Or, you know, we're going to a wedding today. <laughs> <laughs> and, it all inverted, and it was hilarious. It's really important if you're inventing a, a language or a comic language, especially for teenagers, it's really good that they've got access to it. That it's not something they can't do. And it's what the catchphrase community, what Little Britain did, or or Catherine Tate, or the Far Show. You go here's here's some voices and some catchphrases, yeah. but you can do them in the playground. Yeah, it's, Lee, Lorks, total access. <laughs> you you can copy this, and it will be funny when you do it as well. It's a brilliant thing to. It's a sort of it's a toolkit that you can then use and then put in the bumblebee years later, but it will never fail you. So I've got with me a really hefty bound edition of... <laughs> it looks like... really is. It looks it's like, like it's a little Encyclopedia Britannica. It's like Wisden. But it's of Smash Hits, July to December 1988. Where did you get this? Um, so I used to work at Smash Hits, as I mentioned, and I left, laid my desk, and it all sorts of things just fell into my yeah, archive box. That can happen, though, can't it? it? Just weirdly, I don't understand how, but it did, along with a Smash Hits Poll Winners Award. <laughs> what did you win for? Uh, it was for Julia Roberts. <laughs> I don't you won, know. You she won, won for Julia Roberts? Yeah, it was her Smash Hits it Poll was, Winners Award. What, and she didn't take it? She didn't turn up. Julia, if you're listening, we, we know where it is. It's in my. She want to write it. Yeah, it's in my workroom. Yeah, so if she wants to come around and get it, that's fine. Um, But I'm looking at the cover here of Smash Hits, and it features Carol Decker from Tapau. Yeah, looking at a bee, like a a cardboard (laughs) cartoon bee, who's looking at her, and the bee is saying, "Cripes, I'm on the cover of Smash Hits." (laughs) And Carol Decker's saying, "Buzz off, matey, I am," and that's just (laughs) matey. That's, that's it, yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. There's a comic strip, and it, not a, a photo story when you open it. The day Matt Goss got nicked, in inverted commas, and there are just lots of speech bubbles with him saying, hey, hey you can't catch me, Rosers, tra la lu lu It's, <laughs> I mean... I need all your listeners to basically leaf through this issue of Smash Hits. I don't that language, that sort of the Rosas thing, the putting pop stars into nineteen fifties copies of the Beano and having them talk like <laughs> Billy Bunter yeah. or whatever. It's a really odd joke, but it it never fails. And it's it's again, Viz does it all the time. 
it's always you're building a, a village of cartoon characters and you're taking people who are real but have thrown themselves up as cartoon characters to become famous and then going okay if you're boy george then you're going to be really boy george if yeah. you're if you're matt goss we're going to make you super matt goss yes yeah and, which they did yeah with great lee because bros i mean i know that bros are having a revival now and yeah. everyone's pointing and laughing at them but i remember at the time smash it's did obviously they had to put bros i think on the cover pretty much every fortnight because they were the biggest band in the you know boy band at the time um but they also thought they were ridiculous and i can remember them doing a deface bros competition (laughs) and they ran the results over four pages (laughs) which is just people sending in pictures of bros like as with devil horns beards lipstick it's ridiculous but glorious i know it's fantastic can you imagine that happening now when that bros documentary ran and everyone everyone on social media asked one question which is where's ken where's ken Exactly. No one said, where's Craig? No one said, where's Ken? So I thought, oh, Ken, I remember that because that was, as far as I was concerned, because I wasn't a Smash Hits reader because I was into heavy metal at the time. So basically, I knew people who read Smash Hits. I read Smash Hits in the playground, but it wasn't mine. So as far as I was concerned, Ken belongs to Viz. No, Ken Smash Hits, surely. Viz did a a make your own bros mug with their faces on it. It said Matt, (gasps) Luke and Ken. So I tried to find who first called Craig Logan Ken. And I can't (laughs) find out. I think... I'm saying it's Smash Hits. I think it's very likely to be Smash Hits, but... I think it went into vision straight away, or one way or the other. Well, I think I, it was whichever so convi- way is cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say it's smash hits just because I think Viz would not have been bothered about who Bros were for a, <laughs> a long time. Whereas you know, smash hits were they'd be early adopters straight, of Ken. Early adopters of Ken. Yeah. <laughs> but I so, love the fact that both of them at the same time, completely different audiences, had yeah. the same attitude to Bros. You'd think Viz and Smash Hits' attitudes would be completely different, but they're exactly the no, same. well, so apparently, I mean, Smash Hits were really bitchy and cutting and loving <laughs> at the same time. You know, everyone was as ridiculous as everyone else. Do you remember Chesney Hawks? Yes. Who did The One and Only, which is a really good song to was, do in karaoke. Jason, how are you doing? Because I know you've had a really I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I've, I've taken my tablets. Are you doing okay? I, I just need to say for the the uh, for the for benefit of the court that I, I was in a bit of a cultural coma for most of the 80s, so an awful lot of the okay. names in Smash Hits mean absolutely they mean nothing, nothing to, to me and I don't know whether they're made up or real <laughs> you were raised by bees weren't you yeah no I was raised by classical music and the Beatles so mm-hmm. I didn't really like much of what was going on in the yeah. 80s on the radio so yeah, I, that's fair I zoned out quite a lot you would probably enjoy quite a lot in Smash Hits because they were oh I like, have been yeah so yeah, I've been yeah, reading yeah. and enjoying a great yeah deal, because because yes. they are they don't sneer but they do hold everyone up as equally ridiculous what the, was their attitude to Chesney Hawks so oh, Chesney sorry, Hawks yes. yes sorry Chesney <laughs> Hawks he had bless him a little mole on he did, didn't he? Just a little mole. They turned that mole into... They would sometimes give that mole a speech bubble. <laughs> and Chesley Hawks <laughs> claimed that Smash Hits... There was a documentary about Smash Hits and he sort of good-naturedly, yet with a bit a grain of truth, claimed that Smash Hits kind of ruined his career because oh, it was became all about Chesney's mole. But they did launch his mole solo career. Though. <laughs> that single was amazing. Because people would write in and they wouldn't say... They wouldn't write in Nadia, 11, age 11, Telford. You'd write in Chesney Hawks his mole Telford <laughs> you know, so people would write in as John Bon Jovi's fright wig that's I mean that's very cool isn't it that's your readership basically getting on board with you Again, in the same way that always. you know that if you look at the Viz letters page like half of those are genuine letters written by Viz readers oh and they're God. exactly in the same key as the ones that the editors write but that, that's what I'm saying you give them people a language you give them a toolkit so they can express themselves the same way as you and then you all become it's a tribal thing that you're yeah. all part of the same gang completely and I've just as I've said fright wig I've opened <laughs> another page I'm on bits which is the, <laughs> the uh, beginning of the issue you'd have bits which is like little bits and bobs of news you've got here 
year. Bon Jovi, Return of the Fright Wigs, exclamation mark. Win, Spaniard's Towel. Do you remember Spaniard? <laughs> Spaniard's Towel. Yeah. Crap Joke Corner. Do you remember Crap Joke yeah, Corner? Yeah. There's a bit of an older brothers and sisters thing going on because everyone who's writing for it is a bit older than the audience. Yeah. So they're looking at pop stars from a slight angle. Well, see, I didn't feel that. I felt like I felt like the writers did a great job of just being on on the reader's side completely and just looking at them, going, "So, what are you about?" And right. there's that thing about how oh, smash hits is what you know people say. What's your favourite colour? But that's not true at all. No, the questions are amazing. The, yeah, the question wouldn't be what's your favourite colour. As Sylvia, I think Sylvia Patterson says this, who is a great writer who wrote. Uh, her autobiography a few years ago the smash hits question would never be what's your favourite colour it would be what colour is Thursday (laughs) here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I sat down once in a room in a terrible old office in Carnaby Street. And I typed out a circular which I sent round to all the heads of press at record companies and said, we at Smash Hits are planning to reverse the tide of music coverage entirely in the direction of trivia. Henceforth, we are really genuinely interested in the colour of people's socks. Seriously, we are. I've got one here which is my favourite one i found, which is to Kurt Brandon of Spear of Destiny. Have you ever owned an Austrian Shepherd Boy puppet? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Of course, he said no and talked about his teddy bear but the idea is that that question is a dead end but they still want to answer but why not we always found and I still find myself to this day that interviews people like those kind of questions they can be much more revealing than you think you ask someone from a heavy metal band does your mother play golf but actually you get quite a lot about their family stroke class background off of that question to Andy Bell of Erasia if you were a kangaroo what would you keep in your pocket and Andy Bell says marbles <laughs> There's a bit of that, um, we talked about Trevor and Simon on the podcast and said the great thing about Trevor and Simon is they asked impossible questions of pop stars inspired by smash hits and then saw what the pop star's reaction was. And that is what 
all celebrity interviews are like that. That's what that is, Graham Norton. Yeah. What you do, surprise a celebrity and you get a different answer. Well, yeah, I didn't care about many of the pop stars in Smash Hits, but, you know, <laughs> you just know, you read it to be on Smash Hits' side, if, yeah. if you like, and sort of see if, the, if you know, if Glenn Medeiros would come up tramps or not. <laughs> I've just seen it. This Here's another thing. People in pop who haven't got any hair. <laughs> There's a picture of Telly Savalas. Where do you... How is he in yeah, pop? He had a but he is in pop. There's, there's a great feature on what O levels stars have got, and I've written. Oh, we yeah. both wrote this. Up. I run. Howard Jones has ten O levels, and David Sylvian only has one, and he's supposed to be really clever in that, isn't really? he? Really intellectual. Cool. Yeah, only one O level. Uh, Madonna is five foot four. That's from a page of how taller pop stars. Gary Newman's got that. no O levels. Yeah, Nor has Princess Diana. Well, that's that's another thing they've got in common. That and cars. <laughs> <gasps> Nick Hayward has one O level. Really? Now I met him last year, and he's an extremely smart guy. Did think... Nick Hayward break through your cultural? Um, he did. He was one of the few. He was one of the f- haircut one hundred got through. Um, Blamange got through weirdly. Okay. Um, Madness got through, of course, because they were part of the furniture, weren't they? They were. They were piped into schools. Uh, yeah, they, I, like, I, school I, dinners. I felt like Madness were children's entertainers on the, on the curriculum, just, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you didn't like Madness? Scared me a little bit. Did yeah, they? They, they were like the Weetabix skinheads, weren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just going, they're aimed at children, but a bit frightening. Yeah. No, I was genuinely frightened of madness. <laughs> they were they were strange, weren't they? I think that's what I liked about them, because even the music is quite strange, isn't it? I it's mean, angular and culty and weird. Yeah, yeah. There was an aggressive edge to madness I couldn't get on with. I'm always after a bit of bleak desolation, Yeah, even as a nine-year-old. <laughs> so I was like, don't give me your Sonyas and your Rick Astleys and your Jasons, because this was, this was the height of um, Stock Aiden and Waterman as well. No. But I hated so So again, Smash Hits was brilliant because they had to put all those people on the cover and they kind of had to serve this, you know, huge readership that they had at the time as well. I'm not sure how many issues... I mean, that's, that's their peak. I mean, they do really well up to... 89 to 90 there, they're, they're really, really selling. Yeah, and that's got a huge amount to do with having uh, just an amazing array of pop stars. I remember saying once, I think that there's a period where pop, just after punk, goes absolutely nuts and is just brightly coloured and full of great ideas. And people in a garage, you have the idea of, I want to be the human league and within two weeks you're at number one of the charts. It's a great period of like individual invention and it's not controlled by the rock record industry. No one knows what's going to happen next. And that runs up until Stockhaken and Waterman when it's taken over and they go, well, there's a factory that can now make this. It's like the Brill building again. But but the thing but is, that period is a great period for doing smash hits in, yeah. because everyone's nuts. Yeah, and also the thing is, as much as the music was the music was taken over by a factory, I still don't think those pop stars like Jason and Kylie and Sonia were effectively media trained. No, they're very they probably very had them. a bit. No. They said that they can still you know say silly things or amusing things. Whereas I think the difference is when you get to the kind of Simon Cowell factory, yeah. what I think did kind of contribute to the death of smash hits were, were pop stars just being media trained to within an inch of their lives. So is you it Really? It lasted ages. It closed in 2006, which I was really yeah. surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's gone wow. through Pop Idol and, and Pop Stars and things. And it's, yeah. it's, it, it's possible for Bewitched and Hearsay to be well within... Smash oh. it, which I find really surprising. Cause well, when I was well, when I, I worked there from two thousand and two till about two thousand and four five. So you know you've got Busted and McFly wow. and as I said, Blazing Squad, Blue, S Club Seven. They all turn out to be from the past, which I Daniel always find frightening. Daniel Bedingfield, you know, all these people I remember, you know, mm. were in Smash Hits, and and they were not all that's the thing it's really easy for people to look beyond this golden age that i am mainly talking about and go oh it was all rubbish but no i think the spirit of smash it's carried on did they continue with their sort of not really taking these people seriously into the era of media training Absolutely. We did our best. Right. We did our best. So my happy memories of kind of working in that office, if you imagine a very dingy 
office, which Mappin House was really, and you'd get these media trained youngsters coming in, doing their showcases. They'd come in with a PR with a load of pizzas. We've got a new band here who's going to do a song for you. And they'd set up by the printers and mime along yeah. to something. And that's when I first saw, you know, I first saw McFly do that, very <laughs> earnest 16 year olds. And um, we invited Girls Aloud in to switch on the Christmas. Come in and switch on the Smash It's Christmas lights. <laughs> So I think they thought this was going to be, you know, an event. They get the lift up to the fourth floor, walk past Empire magazine, very pale, walk past um, Period Homes and Living, Period Homes and Living, who were comparing swatches of curtain, Uh, go past, go left at the printers, and there's smash hits, there's us. It's a bunch of (laughs) 20-year-olds, just like, whoa, we happen to be working on a magazine, apparently, whoa, which is very much what it was like. It was essentially a crash um, and uh, Christian who's a staff writer he'd nipped out to Argos and got you know you can get the plastic Christmas trees that just plug straight in yeah. with integral lights yeah. with integral lights he'd got one of them it was about about 50 centimetres high if that and um, they had to bet one of the girls lad had to get down on her hands and knees and switch the plug on <laughs> And that was them turning on the Christmas. We thought this was hilarious. That is the correct thing to do. They did not think it was hilarious, but we got, you know, that, you know, we took pictures of them kneeling down and switching (laughs) on the plug and put put that in. And that, of course, you know, the spirit of it was, yeah. If you're talking about those pop stars and you're talking about uh, Girls Aloud and, and Busted and mm-hmm. Destiny Child and things, that's a great period of pop. It was in really There's quite a lot going on. It was in a healthy state, and that's the period that CD UK yeah. is on TV with Ant and Deck and Cat Dealey. Yeah, and CD UK and SMTV are totally smash hits, and they've got the same attitude yeah, to their true. pop stars. Yeah, absolutely. That's on TV. There's and, a real uh, Saturday pop, morning feel. What was that excellent program, Pop World? With Simon Amstel. Pop World absolutely had the spirit of smash hits. This is going through. This this, this goes into, I suppose, again. There's there's a line of comedy and comedy about culture that no one talks about and it's incredibly influential and Smash Hits is is a leading voice in defining that and setting that standard for 20, 30 years. Well look at how, you know, a really easy way to look at it is to look at how do Americans broadly treat their pop stars versus how do we treat pop stars in this country Mm, and in this country, you know it's it's like we've got Slade they've got The Doors, you know it's that kind of I remember reading Interview magazine, the one started by Andy Warhol, really high-end New York hip magazine. And the the letters that would come in from readers would be, thank you for your interview with Barbara Streisand. She really is wonderful. (laughs) And I read that going, someone put a stamp on that. And realising that was the American thing. And someone would go, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And the reply would be from from their version of Black Type, we're glad you enjoyed the interview. Next time Barbara has something to say, you can be sure we'll be there. I mean, this isn't content. I reckon if you go through all these old copies of Smash It's and look at when they try and interview American people, that's when, (laughs) you know, you can see that they have to change tack. Like, I think there's one issue where Michael Jackson's in town for the bad tour. And obviously they can't get any access or their access is so limited that what they end up doing is getting a cardboard cutout of Michael Jackson and taking him around London and they see who they can fool and like they put him in shop windows they have him waving off a balcony and sort of seeing who who that's the how they deal with it that's your perfect example of when you're you're talking about stock aching and waterman and that hit factory thinking that oddly unlike the Americans that hit factory is very accessible and the people appear to be real whereas if you can imagine them trying to get an interview with Britney or Avril Lavigne it would be so awkward yeah whereas you know they can get a good laugh out of Rick Astley or Sonia. I've always been 
I was a real music snob when I was nine or ten. Got better as I've got older. But I was like, I hate Jason Donovan, I hate Sonia, hate Kylie, hate Stott, hate Norm Waterman. I like the Pet Shop Boys and I like yeah. the Smiths, even though I don't understand what this Morrissey fella's on about. So I, I sort of hated them. But at the same time, I, I loved them in Smash It's because they gave good answers. And, yeah. you know, they could have, I mean, I'm just open this up now. It's a it's a four page, it's it's four pages with Jason Donovan asking him about the jungle <laughs> because he's Australian. Um, not because if I'm a celebrity or anything. No, no, just no, about no. the jungle. No, I'm a celebrity. Didn't exist then. <laughs> this is this is literally just asking him questions about the jungle, and they've drawn loads of snakes all around him. So they think he's crocodiles. And there's a snake. Tea. Yeah, there's a snake hissing. Jason. It's really weird. If you like drawing animals, this is another reason that Smash Hits is the perfect place to go and work because they will have lots of work for you adding animals to photographs. First question: How's the jungle then? <laughs> <laughs> I love it in the, in their interviews where they've still got people left over from the past. Like when you look at the lineup for Band Aid and Status Quo are still there. I love the fact that there's this crossover between sort of modern pop and people who've hung around, and the fact they ask questions of Gary Glitter. Oh. That Gary Glitter is part of this world. You f- I find sort of weirdly oh, unsavoury and, and odd. There's a, a thing they ask everyone about nuclear disarmament, and one of the people they ask is is Gary Glitter, but they're always aren't asking Francis Rossi things. I find that funny. But then they don't always treat, I mean, I've, I've you know, here we've got the Keith Richards story. Look how big the Keith Richards story is. <laughs> What's that, an inch? It's an inch. There are two pictures. The Keith Richards story has got four bullet points. I'm going to read them now. The Keith Richards story. Once he looked perfectly normal. Indeed, some would say he looked rather handsome. Point two. Then he and his pals formed a group called the Rolling Stones and spent 25 years at the edge of rock and roll. Point three. It didn't do him any favours looks-wise. Point four. There's a lesson for us all there, viewers. And that's the Keith Richards story. That's the whole, the majesty of rock and the mystery of roll. There's a nice one here with Sylvia Paston's got the Beastie Boys um, and she's taken them to Brighton and made them go on the uh, Dodgems. (laughs) Uh, mistake on Wikipedia, by the way, where they cl- I, this might be a mistake. It may even be true where they claim that Bob Monkhouse edited it once what? for a week. They've named the issue, and I'm thinking, are we sure that's not made up? No, by, I think uh, I think it's our friends on uh, on the enemy there. I think what thrills. that I think that's what that is. That is a Bob Holness played the saxophone. Uh, yeah, but there's, it, it's a there's a Bob Monkhouse one which I think comes from the fact that Bob Monkhouse used to present a pop radio show called Smash Hits. Uh, I think it's got in with Dennis Goodwin on late Radio Luxembourg. I think it's got in, but I love the fact that the Smash Hits page on Wikipedia contains a smash hit style howler <laughs> which is that the, there's an issue they claim Bob Monkhouse edited my favourite issue of all time was the Pet Shop Boys go to the seaside they go to Cambia and they go to they this go sounds to, like a Viz cartoon yeah. strip, doesn't it and the cover line is Pet Shop Boys tiddly on pom pom it's Neil and Chris by the seaside oh, that's the right way to talk about the Pet Shop Boys because they don't but I don't know I mean, you've, you're a Pet Shop Boys fan you've seen it it couldn't happen here that, that, yeah when they're at their most pretentious is when they're at their most hilarious and you just want to you always well, want to go up to them and, and, and puncture it, but you know they don't mind. No, they don't mind. And actually, I, I would argue that, you know, in terms of um, 
comedy or kind of funny writing some of the funniest things that i've ever read are pet shop boys interviews yeah because you just set them off and leave them i imagine you just sit there let the tape recorder go and just let them chat because they are naturally hilarious people and the fact that they look miserable as sin just makes it funnier it's it's, it's a it's the means to deliver their joke chris heath's books on them are the best They're place genius. to read loads chris heath obviously ex-smash hits writer yeah. who did literally and the pet shop boys in america and then went on to write robbie williams feel which is probably my favorite rock biography i think it's absolutely brilliant and it's right. just a terrific so he's really good at pop i embarrassed myself in front of chris heath because the pet shop oh, boys really? literally was my 13th birthday present and like one of my favorite books of all time and i was invited on a podcast and he was the other guest absolutely lost my mind (laughs) and you know and did tell told the story about how I took his piece about Neil Tennant into my job interview to get a job at Smash Hits and he was like right and then as as the conversation went on and on and someone would mention literally and I quietly got my copy of literally out of my bag and he was like okay you carry it around with you do you have a special pocket made for it yeah bandolier and then this is when I really disturbed him so um we were talking about black type the letters page smash Mm. it's letters page now if you won letter of the fortnight you got a special smash it's tea towel (laughs) which had silly very silly drawings on and it was it was the smash it's guide to washing up kids love No, sorry, the black type guide to washing up. Now, when I was pregnant, (laughs) I suddenly was gripped. I was about to say, you know what it's like, but you don't. But I was suddenly gripped by this desire that if I didn't find a copy of the tea towel and replicate it, I was going to, you know, the world would collapse. So I found a picture of the tea towel, a small picture, scanned it in, zoomed it up. Oh and God. kind of tra- found the correct font and traced over the drawings and recreated the black type tea is this a towel. hand painted. Oh here. my God. Look. Oh, wow. That is so beautiful. Washing up the black type way. And I made about 100. Oh, this my is about God. five or six years ago now. And, and I put a thing out on Twitter going, Would anyone like a black type tea towel? And lots of people said yes. You've created a religious artifact. This is yeah. like the, tr- the Shroud of Turin. And I did, before I before I got it printed up, I did email actually uh, Mark, it's beautiful. Um, Ellen. Yeah. One of the founders of Smash It's to kind of say, Is this cool? Like, I'm not making any money from this. Yeah. And I didn't. This is pure me being a bit mad and pregnant devotion and devotion <laughs> yeah. and i just do you know what i, I think i charged people like three pounds fifty to right. cover costs and even that wasn't i made a loss because i hadn't <laughs> factored in and factored in vat <laughs> <laughs> so but i was too embarrassed to pump it up to 450 but that just shows the affection for them they were like you know a hundred other sad 40 somethings were like yeah i want a tea towel wow. you, you think about i think about magazines the the tribal nature of magazines especially if you subscribe to it you read it every week that that stays with you people don't talk about this the the, the magazines and the comics you read growing up comics possibly because there's a cult industry attached to them but magazines is a thing you go your identity is tied up with what magazines yeah. you read and you, and if a million people a week or is it a fortnight? Smash Hits was fortnight. It was fortnightly. Yeah, a million people of fortnight are really Smash Hits, and they grow older, and you come back to them years later and say, "Do you remember what that felt like?" Yeah. I can give you a tiny, tiny corner, a tiny hint of that hit in the form of a tea towel. They're going to rush to you. And it's interesting because magazines are so kind of ephemeral and throwaway, and especially Smash Hits, it's not like a beautiful edition of Vogue. Yeah. You know, people keep their stacks of votes for years and years, or it's not like, even like you say, comics, yeah. there's something about comics are res- 
comics are respected as an art form in a yeah. way and it's like oh that artist was on here and you know there's a nobility to them that maybe people don't really give to a, a throwaway magazine about pop music but actually there's the gold amongst this yeah but also the yeah. fact you've bound you've got your bound copy which i mean turns, i'm demented so what i meant to say is that i really scared chris heath because i gave yeah, him yeah. a tea towel and, and he was frightened. like what the who get this woman removed <laughs> like what you've done there is because is, you've got your, your smash hits aren't in a in, in your memory they're not in a pile they're, they're in bound copies and that becomes a book and the, the, the thing I brought in, which is the, the Smash Hits, they put together a, a compilation of their best articles and pieces from the 80s, which it makes, a, makes a lovely hardback book. What's fantastic about it is it is meant to be ephemeral, but you're supposed to throw it away and you're supposed to throw these pop stars away. You're supposed to forget them there. It's not like it's articles about uh, about The Who. It's mm. not meant to be about classic rock magazine. This is meant to be in the charts this week and forgotten the next week. There's some lovely covers of people you barely remember, Tracy and things like that, mm. uh, people who didn't, who weren't even one-hit wonders. It's full of that. And yet, if you bind it together and think about it, it is a really good record of not only of that time, but also of what was funny, what we were like, what you were like. It's really redolent. Mm. Yeah, and I think, well, I think some of this goes back to what is, and I'm sure, uh, hopefully this is changing, but I know you guys have discussed this in terms of how comedy is valued as being an important thing. Mm. And I think with with Smash Hits, it's like, how is comedy valued? And also, how are the passions of young girls valued? How is, you know, young girls being passionate, and, you know, being passionate about music has never been seen to be as important as young guys being passionate about music. That's a very good point. It hasn't been. There's not a, there's a rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. There's not a smash hits hall of fame. The yeah. idea that this is that that what you're mad for age fourteen uh-huh. should be taken seriously and mm-hmm. then repackaged and and and, and the response to that Bros documentary is very revealing because it it they're the ultimate disposable band and yet people have gone hang on I know we're taking the pee out of them but I liked them yeah this reminded me of a feeling I may not have had for Bros but I may have mm-hmm. had for for Aha or yeah. may have had for sure. for Busted yeah it taps back into that and it's good to find out and that it was done with such good humour. And these are, you know, uh, um, my fellow readers, we would have been like, wow, you know, that version of, yeah, I love Hunting High and Low, I love Side 2, or Mm. wow, uh, It Couldn't Happen Here is such a weird film. Who was this Derek Jarman cat? (laughs) But, you know, but but, but there's no, we're not given that, we're not sort of allowed to feel that those interests are particularly important in the same way that you were if you were an enemy reader. Very true. You know, whereas my so my brother at the same time is like learning about the Jesus and Mary chain, and you know, and that's all. But that's all cool. That's all fine. But for us, it's it, it was a different. Yeah, we're just not given that same gravitas. But it's a different relationship, and it's a relationship that has within it comedy. That it's that it was fun, and maybe that's because in the same ways uh, you win an Oscar for a dramatic role and not for a comic role, it's very easy not to take seriously those feelings because Smash Hits was celebrating them in a fun way rather than a pompous pen-sucking, chin-stroking way. Yeah. I mean, so Select Magazine, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. tried to take something of the spirit of Smash It. It was yeah. great. Yeah. And the spirit of Enemy. And I think I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed reading Enemy. I still think, because I, I, I recently got a load of old Select Magazines and I was flicking through it, and it's brilliant and it's really funny. I still don't think they quite, I don't think they went for the pop stars in the same way that Smash Hits did. I think Smash Hits were just ruthless. And I think Select, <laughs> I, I do think Select was actually still, even that was was still quite reverential yeah to their pops it's really interesting but because it's for young mainly girls it kind of goes under the radar 
I think everyone should bind their copies, mentally bind their copies of Smash Hits <laughs> in the same way as you've done and, and give it the proper honour because it is definitely way better than it's got credit for and and its comic voice has just resonated for, for ages and it changes the way people think, which I think is incredibly valuable because magazines, an attitude can change the way you think at a really primal time when you're very, very impressionable. Yeah. That from that point on, we said it about the Beatles, said the thing that's great about the Beatles being success is they said the rules are you can't take this seriously. No. And that's why they're the best band. And without that thing of going, you must not take this seriously, the dangers of pomposity are exactly what mustn't happen. Make a return to the doors. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, but it does that, but also recognises that we are all in love with pop music. Yeah. yeah. And isn't this brilliant? Of course. And that's, it's celebratory. That's, that's it's the never sneery. That's the relationship that the listener should have with pop yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. It's this never sneery. It's, it's joyful and it's, yeah. and it's, you know, joyful and it takes the piss. Taking and the piss can't damage love. No. That's the power of a proper heartfelt love is that even mockery can't destroy. That's quite profound. That I was about to say, get that on a put that on a madness. On a tea towel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, put that on a tea towel. That's a winner. Have you thought of binding your tea towels in the same way that you found the magazine? <laughs> a collection of tea towels. I did back not, tea towel I have to collection. say, I did not bind these magazines. They were mysteriously bound by people at Bauer slash EMAP. Don't sue me. Do you, think, do you think they're going to come after me now? No, yeah, I reckon it. it all ended up in a skip. We've, yeah, we've done we've, the, we've we've heard this story so many times. Yeah. Whatever you value as a child will not have been valued by the large corporation that made it. They will have thrown it they away, thrown and it you will have saved it. So you are the saviour of nineteen eighty. Is that nineteen eighty eight? Smash hit eighty eight. You saved it. Brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on and bringing smash hits, Nadia. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Everything became a pop magazine. The Daily Mirror became a pop magazine. All telly is pop telly. You know, you can't escape pop music, pop culture. The fact is there was a war between pop and the adult world, and pop won.